0: It's Tech Biter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blynn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 327 for the 27th of January, 2013. This week, Newsweek's conversion to an electronic format has been smooth, but for readers, not so smooth. Microsoft's OneNote 2013 turns in an orchestral performance, and in short circuits, borrowing an iPad at LaGuardia, Blockbuster continues to shrink. Snippet becomes Yahoo's latest acquisition, and Google beats the street. Newsweek, it seems, has a few boulders in the road. Newsweek has gone all digital. No more magazines. You already know that. This is good, but the transition hasn't exactly been without its challenges. One of the most significant problems so far is the lack of standardization among reading platforms. Newsweek was the first major news publication to exit the print arena, Some might give that price to U.S. News & World Report, but it was always a weak third-place finisher behind time of Newsweek. So whether you like the change may depend on what device you use to view Newsweek. Because of the current lack of standards, or maybe the current surplus of standards, Newsweek has to offer a lot of options. You can choose the iPad Newsweek app if you have an iPad, or the Kindle Fire app, if you have a Kindle Fire, or the Nook Reader, if you have a Nook or Nooks app for Android, or Zinio's app for the Android, or Nook's iOS app for the iPhone, or Newsweek's Interactive Web Reader for any browser, or Zinio's Desktop Reader for PCs or Macs, or Nook's Windows 8 app for tablets and PCs. But if you have an original Kindle, forget it. You can't read a subscription purchased from Newsweek there. I tried the web reader, and I didn't much care for it. When I signed up through Barnes & Noble with the Nook Reader app for Windows 8, the process took more than half an hour, and the magazine download took more than an hour, this on a 15 megabits per second connection. Although I'm not a fan of Zinio's interface, in fact, I really don't like it at all, it appears to be the best option available right now. The magazine looks good on the Nook reader, but I can't abide by a system that takes an hour to download what other systems handle in 20 or 30 seconds. The Nook's user interface is better than Zinio's, though, but almost any interface is better than Zinio's. The scroll wheel on the mouse slides from page to page just the way it should. With Zinio, it's necessary to click the right edge of a page to advance. But Zinni offers me the current edition of the magazine, and the Nook is still showing last week's version. Newsweek's publication date is now Friday instead of Monday. The folks at Barnes & Noble might want to take a note of that. If Barnes & Noble updates its upload schedule to match Newsweek's publishing schedule, and if it solves the download problem, they are investigating my report, well, this could be the best platform for reading the magazine because the Nook uses the scroll wheel on the mouse to move from page to page, and I really like that. On a touch-sensitive device, you can, of course, use the standard swipe motions, but I really like reading on a large monitor at the desk. I can place Newsweek on one screen and continue to use the other screen for normal work. In other words, I can read Newsweek and still check my email every now and then. Where was this technology when I was in high school, and filling out note cards for the debate team? My monitor is large enough that depending on the viewer I choose, the magazine on screen is as large as the paper version. The Zinio reader on a Windows 8 tablet is frustrating, even though some people think that electronic publishing was invented to sell tablets. Because the tablet has a large screen, I had expected Newsweek to look as good there as it did on the desktop. Actually, it does, but getting out of full-screen mode can be a challenge. Somebody at Microsoft apparently decided to omit the escape key function from the tablet, and that's exactly what the Zinio reader expects when you want to exit the full-screen view to do something else. I thought that the only way to get back to the desktop involved rebooting the computer, and that's not exactly what I'd call good design. As it turns out, though, the Zinio Reader does include an icon that returns it to normal view. It's just that it sometimes hides. Besides that, the Zinio display works properly only when it's in landscape mode. The page is distorted in a decidedly amateurish way when I hold the tablet in portrait mode, which is exactly what I'd prefer to do. This clearly is the future of publishing, and soon it needs to become the present of publishing. One might wonder if publishing is the correct term when there is no press. I am assured that it is because publishing can involve any distribution in any medium. And besides, we still dial phones... Anybody who's under about 30 has probably never even seen a phone with a dial. You'll see a photograph on the TechBiter worldwide website that shows the final print version of Newsweek in my hand, and right beside it, one of the first electronic versions of Newsweek on the screen. You might think that Microsoft has hired me to promote OneNote. Well, they haven't, but I'm sure a fan of that application. Microsoft made what I consider to be a horrible mistake in some of the earlier versions of Office. OneNote was included only in some of the higher-priced editions. Well, now it's finally present in all editions, even the home and student selection. Although Word and Excel are still the best-known and most-used applications in the Office suite, OneNote is really the hidden gem, and with Office 2013, that's even more true than before. You'll find a little video on the TechBiter Worldwide website from Microsoft that shows what's new in OneNote 2013. Among the new features is an OCR function that works more or less like magic. Insert an image, any image, and if there's text in it anywhere, OneNote will recognize it and make it searchable. It's possible to insert files from other applications into OneNote and then view your notes or files on other computers or tablets. Use the 2013 version of OneNote in conjunction with SkyDrive and your notes will automatically be synchronized with all of your computers. This alone is an improvement that increases the value of the application. OneNote creates nested layers of information. You start with a notebook. Some of mine include TechBiter, personal, and software hints. Then, within the notebooks, you create tabbed folders. My TechBiter folder, for example, has configuration settings and program notes. Within each folder, you place pages. Configuration settings has pages that include the settings that I use for Adobe Audition, PowerShell, and Dreamweaver. Program notes includes pages that show which topics are scheduled for future programs and remind me of what was included in previous programs. If needed, I can create subpages and subpages for the subpages. With all those layers, you might think it's hard to find something in OneNote, but nothing could be further from the truth. Two search functions exist. There's Control f that searches only the current page, and Control e that searches every page, in every folder, in every notebook. And it's fast. Knowing that you might use OneNote on a desktop system with multiple large screen monitors, or on a smartphone with a very small monitor, Microsoft's developers have made the interface flexible. If you have a lot of screen real estate, you'll probably want to leave everything visible. It's easier to use that way. On a tablet or phone, though, you'll probably hide parts of the interface. You'd hide the parts that are needed only to search or to open notebooks, folders, and pages. Each of these can be recalled with a single tap or swipe, but they stay out of the way when you need to concentrate on the content. On a desktop or notebook, you'll use the mouse and the keyboard to interact with OneNote, but on any device with either a touchscreen or a digitizing tablet, you have the ability to draw. It's pretty handy. You can use the stylus if you want, but your finger will work too. Draw a diagram or take notes by just printing them on the screen text recognition is surprisingly good, even for my handwriting. The OneNote interface might make you think of Word, but OneNote lacks even basic structured formatting commands. The ability to define paragraph and character styles would be welcome, but that capability has never been present in OneNote. Users can apply tags to any paragraph in a OneNote document. Nine of these can be inserted by using the control key plus a number, control 1 through control 9. That makes the process really fast. The tags may be renamed and the formatting changed. Formatting includes an icon that goes with the tag, text color, and a highlight color. But if you want OneNote to use the same settings on multiple computers, well, then you're going to have to make the same manual changes on each computer. An export-import capability would be helpful but the process of updating the settings really takes only a few moments, and you probably won't be surprised to learn that I maintain a list of my settings for OneNote in OneNote so that I can quickly update any new computer. The concept of saving a note is absent from OneNote. The instant you write something, it's saved, and within a few seconds, any new or updated note will be synchronized to SkyDrive and then to any other computers where you've installed OneNote. I've watched this happen in real time, and the process does take just a few seconds. For computers that aren't currently online, expect the updates to occur the next time you open the application from a computer that has an internet connection. short circuits, some changes in airline travel. At a time when airplanes are overcrowded or late or both, and add-on charges sap budgets, Delta is trying something new to placate customers, loaning them an iPad. Journalist Christine Negroni has the story in the New York Times, and she tells the tale of a Michigan man who, on arrival at LaGuardia Airport, did something unusual. Rather than grabbing a cab and heading into town, or as I might do, grabbing a bus and heading for the Roosevelt Avenue subway station, he had lunch in the airport restaurant where he used an iPad on his table to order lunch, to check his email, and even to pay the bill. Delta operates two terminals at LaGuardia that serve nearly 40,000 passengers per day, and the more time and money that the airlines can convince people to spend in the terminals, the better their bottom lines. The article quotes Rick Blastine, who's in charge of what's called the OTG management. Blastine says that the average person spends less than $6 in airport terminals, but in Delta's two terminals, the average is $3 to $5 above that. So let's assume that the average is about $4. Multiply that by the number of passengers per day, and then by the number of non-weekend days in a year. So that's about $30 million per year that would otherwise leave the airport in the pockets of the passengers. Take in an extra $30 million a year for, oh, just a few years. That could add up to a nice sum. The table-mounted iPads can also be used to order newspapers and other materials from interminal stores. The stores then deliver the goods to the restaurant. Negroni cites other amenities that have been added, but the iPads are probably the most interesting of the additions, and maybe the most challenging. Delta seems to have solved the theft problem by making the devices part of the furniture, but undoubtedly a few will go missing over time. Possibly the more concerning question is the security aspect. If you use a public terminal to log on and check your email, what might be left behind on the iPad for the next user? And how secure is that connection between the iPad and the Wi-Fi access point that it connects to? One would like to think that these concerns have been addressed. If you want to read the full article, it's in the New York Times, and you'll find a link to it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. <laughs> Blockbuster has plans to close about 300 stores throughout the U.S. and cut some 3,000 jobs as the once high-flying video rental chain continues to implode, slowly. The number of stores will drop to around 500. Blockbuster is now owned by Dish Network. When Dish acquired Blockbuster, the rental firm was in bankruptcy, but it still had about 1,700 operational locations. Soon, it'll be less than a third of that, The company isn't doing better anywhere else. The British unit has decided to close 160 stores there and is in the equivalent of bankruptcy. So far, DISH hasn't been able to make much headway with its plans to use the Blockbuster name to compete against Netflix in streaming video and Redbox. DISH does provide streaming video, but there had been plans to use Blockbuster stores to sell its satellite service. Dish hasn't yet announced which stores are closing. In some cases, the closures are reported to be because the location's lease is expiring. In others, it's simply because the store is not performing adequately. Dish reported a third-quarter loss of $158 million. It lost nearly 20,000 subscribers in that period. So far, no results have been released for the fourth quarter. Snippet seems to think of itself as Pinterest for web articles. It's a new company that managed to attract the attention of Yahoo and has now been acquired by Yahoo. This could be another prime example of Yahoo's finely tuned acquisition skills, or it might actually succeed. The space for website sharing applications seems already to be overcrowded. Lots of Facebook users share links. So do Twitter users. Technorati, StumbleUpon, LinkedIn, Delicious, MySpace, lots of others all provide this capability. And unlike images, which can be timeless, many web URLs have a pretty limited shelf life. Snippet went live in October 2011, and this week posted a message to users that explained the acquisition. The notice addresses concerns that some users might have about the new parent company, and explained how subscribers could retrieve their data if they want to. The message said that Snippet's employees will be absorbed by Yahoo and that Snippet will no longer provide a service to subscribers. Google reported better earnings than expected this week for the fourth quarter. Perhaps more important, though, there were clues that the company has begun to get a handle on how to make money from mobile computing. As a result, Google shares were up about 5% in after-hours trading the day after the results were released. In recent months, Google had been reducing staff in the areas that support smartphone and tablet operations. The fourth quarter results pushed Google's annual revenue past $50 billion. And that's a first for the company. As CEO Larry Page called it, not a bad achievement in 15 years. The amount advertisers are willing to pay on a cost-per-click basis continues to decline, but apparently at a slower rate. A year ago, the price drop was 15% quarter-over-quarter. This year, it was only about 6%. Analysts have been concerned about Google's long-term viability. The company hasn't had the success it wanted in monetizing mobile devices, and its core product is still search, as conducted on desktop and notebook computers. The market share for these devices is shrinking, and advertisers haven't been willing to pay as much for ads that are delivered to those small screens. My opinion on that? If anything, the advertisers might consider paying more for ads delivered to mobile devices. If the user is already mobile, that user might be standing right outside the merchant's door instead of sitting at a computer on the other side of town. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, wwwtechfighter.com I'm Bill Lynn and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.